The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Well, thank you, as Graham said a bit ago, for your questions. Uh, we won't get to all of them, but... Um, but we should, if, if your question doesn't get answered, it's not because it was a bad question. I mean, it might have been, but I won't tell you that. No, there's no bad questions. These were really good questions. It's just because we ran out of time, and we're kind of condensing some of them, but uh, don't feel like you, should, you couldn't ask that question otherwise to any, any of us here, any of our leaders, our pastors or deacons or uh, your small group leader or something like that. We should answer these questions. So maybe just to start, um, Brian, again, thank you, brother. Uh, as Graham said a moment ago, we're thankful for a lot of young people in our church that are growing and, and serving and loving the Lord. And, and one question was just this, um, is it okay for teenagers, maybe you could say 20-somethings as well, to come alongside one another, or should teens be seeking help and guidance only from older saints? Um, so should they come alongside one another uh, who are struggling, or should we only, as young people, be seeking counsel from old, older people? What do, you, what do you think about that? I would say both. Yeah. It's okay to come alongside one another, and it's okay for the two of you, even together, to go try to get some input and advice from older saints. Um, uh, there's, in a multitude of counselors, there's safety, the proverb says. So the more input we're getting, the better. When I was you know, struggling with an anger issue, I went to two of the guys on staff and said, help me, because, I don't know, the first guy might say something I don't like. Um, dump, dump. Uh, no, I just wanted as much input as I could to try to understand the dynamic of my heart. And I think young people can know those things, but there's also a degree of, of, of immaturity just for lack of experience and years. And so especially if you're struggling with the same sin, you, maybe you both need input from someone who's older and who's walked that road. So it's both and. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that, that's the, the kind of community aspect that we're thinking through there. It's really good. And maybe just to, to uh, kind of um, follow up on that one, someone asked, I have a friend struggling with a particular sin, and they come to me, uh, they came to me for help, but I struggle with the same one. Should I help them, or should I tell them to seek help from someone else? Same answer. Mm. I, I think, in fact, the two of you, if you're literally struggling with the same sin, go find an older saint, um, someone that can disciple you through that, and maybe together, and, and you, can, you can help each other understand the struggles of your heart. Um, so uh, I think it's helpful to be there with another person who's struggling with something similar. I, there, there, there's a line there sometimes, like uh, when you think about groups that meet, you know, for like group sessions, um, sometimes what happens in a group session is people in the group uh, learn about new and creative ways to live out their sins. Um, and if that's what the group devolves into, then that's, that's not healthy. Um, but if, if what's happening is, you know, Christians are coming to understand better the dynamics of how their heart uh, is tempted and how to overcome temptation, then I think that's great. Yeah, that's good. To dovetail on that, at, at what point do you think, um, in a sin, should we be going to somebody and saying, look, I'm, I'm just struggling in this area. I've got this sin that I just can't shake loose. I, I need your help. I need, I need to confess to you. I need you to help me. Can you help me? At what point does somebody do that? 
I would say as soon as you know that's happening, as soon as you're, you're conscious of the struggle and, uh, and, don't, and can't shake it, like you're, you're right there you're saying if, if something phrase like that, something like that is coming to your mind, then you probably need to seek help. And, and that's what was happening with me, right? I was getting angry. We we're having conversations about plant-based diet, and I just get more and more angry in, inside. I wasn't, I wasn't yelling. Um, I wasn't asking questions about it nicely, right? So that, that, those conversations would bubble up a little bit, and I'd just be like, okay, we're done. We're done talking about that for tonight. Um, but I couldn't shake it. Like, I couldn't even figure out why I was getting so frustrated by it. Um, so I just needed to go ask them. Help me think through why this is so frustrating to me and just talked it out with a couple of guys. So, so, when, you, so when you have a godly person who's in the Word, they're in the Word, they're in prayer, they're doing the things that you would expect a mature believer to be doing, but they're still struggling with anxiety, with, with anger, with... with with depression or whatever it might be, what do you say to them? How do you help them when, when they're doing the things they already should be doing? They're doing the one another's, they're in fellowship, and yet they're still struggling in, in a particular sin issue. Well, enduring in the pursuit, I think, is important. I don't think God wants us to give up in that pursuit. And um, I don't know why God allows us to go long periods of time sometimes with um, with struggles. So I, I had a bout of depression back in the, I don't know, about 10, 12, 13 years ago, 2011. Um, and it was, uh, th- that was my experience. Like I was just unmotivated. I was lethargic. It wasn't depression like most people experience depression, but that, I just didn't want to get out of bed in the morning. I was unmotivated. Um, I was really ineffective. Um, th- my tendency toward laziness got worse, um, but it was flown out of sadness, and then it kind of reached a tipping point. And I was doing all the right things. I knew all the right things to do, trying to think through it. But in the the throes of that struggle, it's um, I, I I needed to get more help, and I wasn't getting help um, until it became evident that I needed help. Outwardly, someone approached me and said, "What's wrong with you?" You don't seem right. Uh, and then the elders at our church in New Hampshire started helping me through that. Um, so um, there I was reticent to get help. I was doing all the right things. And even after getting their help, I was still doing more of the right things. And the emotions didn't really change very fast. Um, so you, you, we want change. I don't know why God has us go through seasons like that where we seem to get stuck, but he does. And I mean... At some level, I think it's because he wants, he wants us to endure. He, he wants us to show him that he is our all-satisfying joy, and I'm going to pursue him whether I'm experiencing it in an earthly way, the way I want to or not. Like I'm going to pursue you in the midst of whatever it is. And isn't that how so many of the Psalms are? Right? Where the psalmist is like, man, life is hard. I don't get it. But you are my joy. So it's, there's a lot of Psalms that just are described that way. And so just keep enduring. And, and that's not to say that God is, is looking to find out how, uh, how much endurance you have. The reason for that is so that we'll find out we have the endurance. God 
preserves us. I really like the way S.U. Sproul changed the perseverance of the saints to the preservation of the saints. God is preserving us even through difficult things. Yeah. Martin Lloyd-Jones has a wonderful book on spiritual depression that if you're struggling with that and you're looking for a good resource, it's a good book for, for depression specifically. Yeah, it is. And that's, you know, that's a topic that comes up as well as we think about questions and caring for one another. In fact, someone um, messaged me a number of months ago and said, you know, sometimes the questions come like this. If you heard from someone that might be struggling with depression, is there a good book that you might recommend them, right? And so my automatic question is, I wonder if this person is struggling with depression, right? And, and usually that's the case, right? We're, you know, there's a sin that we're struggling with, and, and if we're not used to sharing that with others or confessing those things, um, it's not real easy to come out and, and just say, hey, I think this is what's happening in my life and I need help. Brian, would you just talk about that a little bit? Um, the word depression, right, is a big word. It's a buzzword uh, in, in many ways. Could you maybe just kind of help define that and from a biblical perspective? And then um, I think probably many of us would feel like if someone came and said, well, I'm depressed, what do you think I should do? Probably most of us would be like, I don't know, call somebody, call a doctor, get something. You know, what, what would be encouragements for us as saints who want to be helpful and beneficial to one another when something like that comes up, that question comes up, I'm feeling depressed, I think, what should I do? What, what, what would you encourage us would be the next step in, in that kind of question? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a loaded question. Yeah, it's a loaded question in some ways um, because there are a million different experiences that can result in sadness and despair. Um, but that statement, in some ways, is a hopeful thing and uh, depression is kind of a buzzword. It's probably overdiagnosed because in the DSM, the technical definition or the technical criteria... And what is the DSM? So the DSM is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Diagnoses that's used in the psychological and psychiatric world, um, largely, largely used in order to get uh, insurance companies to pay for things, so there's a, a weird dynamic there. But there, it's just diagnostic criteria, and the diagnostic criteria for depression um, says that you experience all these symptoms. There's a whole list of symptoms, and but you experience them, and they're not attributable to some event. And um, but that little caveat that my sadness or whatever, my depression, whatever you want to call it, is not attributable to some identifiable event, is not always taken properly into account. So Charles Hodges has a book called Good Mood, Bad Mood. It's a great little book on, on depression that sort of talks about some of that technical stuff as well. He's a medical doctor. Um, and he, he suggests that 90% of what gets diagnosed as depression is... Um, is really just normal sadness, which can be very profound and painful and prolonged. And we, 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 uh, our, um, my youngest daughter lost a baby in December, actually November, end of November, full term, stillborn. She's grieving. She's still grieving. She's, she's supposed to be grieving right now, right? It's, she's, I mean, it's just, a few months in, and she's grieving. I don't think she's depressed. She's grieving. But she's, she has all the symptoms 
of depression, but understandably so. But our culture has kind of gotten to the point where we're not supposed to be sad. And um, But I, I live in a sin-cursed world, and I, it's sad, right? There's just lots of reasons to be sad. Um, you live in California. Um, so... <laughs> We have a lot of reasons to be happy, but there are some that make us sad. Yeah. So that so depression, I think, properly diagnosed is gonna is gonna be those things that are uh, just unexplainable. And even the depression that I went through, and I, I don't mind calling it depression, but uh, as I as I got help thinking through what was going on in my soul it was understandable why I was experiencing that sadness. And so I had to, to think through all these circumstances in my life that were causing me difficulty um, in order to overcome it. And, um, and same, same with my daughter. And Hodges thinks 90% of it is probably just the normal circumstances of life that are weighing us down. 5% are things that are are actual physical issues, like medical issues that could be diagnosed if people were seeking medical answers, diagnoses, and instead of just talking about how they feel. And then 5% of it is, is really true depression. Like, this just seems to come from out of nowhere. Can't identify a physical cause. Their lives don't seem to be sad. And so... Um, it's hard to define, but it's it's really just profound sadness, um, and uh, but the word is probably overused. I, I, that's why you heard me a lot say sadness and despair, as opposed to depression, because as soon as you word depression, it sounds like a clinical thing, and it isn't. It very rarely is an actual clinical thing. Do we see a um, perhaps a, a, a an auxiliary? issue with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And, and um, we think about war when we think about that, that term because soldiers come back, they have PTSD, and uh, it, it's a difficult thing to work through. And, and I know um, we know somebody who's a, f- a fire chief, and he talks about the uh, fire engine guys. That's my, this is, as far as my knowledge goes with fire engine people. But the fire engine people, they, they oftentimes will struggle with PTSD as well. And so it's not just military. It's a lot of people that... And first responders, they deal with that particular issue. Um, and, and, and as it pertains to past trauma or difficult events, um, they're very, they seem to be more specific, though. Can you explain PTSD a little bit for us? We've had a few questions on that. And I know we didn't have a whole lot of time to dive too deeply into it, but maybe a, maybe a surface skimming on, over it. Yeah, it did, it did come about initially. It was called shell shock. It's what they called it, I think, after World War I. Um, but it is... It, it is a sort of uh, what appears to be a natural response to, to trauma. Um, post-traumatic stress is, boy, God didn't design a world in where, where we were supposed to experience those things, right? And one day heaven will be completely devoid of anything that would remotely come under the definition of trauma. And we look forward to those days. So... But our, our bodies uh, are designed to establish neural pathways. So this is what they, are, they think about PTSD, that in trauma, uh, 
our, our brains as sort of a self-protective thing forms these, these neural pathways that produce overreactions or fearful responses. At the heart of it, PTSD is a fearful response in some way, um, but it comes with some, some most likely, there's no way to verify this. That's the other thing is that some of this is you diagnose it based on subjective criteria. There's no way to measure your neurological synapses and what's happened or what's happening in these responses. But that seems to be the element that's there that's not fully identifiable. Um, But here's the thing. If our bodies can respond in a way that creates patterns that are negative, that means that our bodies can can re-respond in ways that make patterns that are positive. And so someone who's, someone who's addicted to porn, for instance, has, has fired the brains uh, or the neurons and their hormones in ways that make those things more and more appealing and harder and harder to resist. But if they've... If they've if they, to use the word habit, if they've created a habit in this way, they can, they can put off, renew the mind, and put on and create the habit the other direction by God's grace. That's, that's what God tells us. So PTSD, I think habits of all kinds, and we know it's neurological, right? Because you don't have to think about tying your shoes anymore, right? It happens really fast, and you're really good at it. You've created uh, muscle memory and to the point where your brain doesn't even have to think consciously about how to tie your shoes. Um, that same capacity is hijacked by sin. And, and that's why the more you sin, the harder it is to resist. That same capacity gets, uh, gets fired up in an exaggerated way in the midst of trauma. And so all of those things can be undone because that capacity exists in us. That's how God's designed us. And so it's not easy. It can be hard. It can be really time-consuming. Um, but you just are trying to help people walk through what does it look like to reprogram isn't a biblical word, but putting off, renewing your mind, and putting on is a way reprogram your heart is, is a, not a bad description of that process. And that's true with addictions. It's true with PTSD. Um, and... Uh, and that's that's kind of a, a quick quick look at it. Um, there's lots of folks out there that want to talk about the neurology of it and yada yada yada. I don't think we have to be, uh, you know, well versed in the neurological sciences to help people overcome these issues. Maybe knowing a few things about neurological sciences might might be helpful. But Paul describes it. Isn't that exactly what we read yesterday in Romans seven? When he said, um, Paul wasn't a neurologist, but he did know this, that I have a law in the members of my body. See how he's locating it? It has something to do with my sinful existence, this, this fallen body. There's a law in my fallen body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. So he's, he's locating his, his sin struggles in, in some fashion in the fallenness of his body. Bad habits, sinful habits, PTSD, 
uh, panic attacks, um, all those things kind of fall in that thing where our fallen bodies get hijacked by sin and produce symptoms in us. But all those things can be overcome as we diligently, purposefully seek to put off, renew, put on, reprogram our hearts. That's, that's an overly simplistic look of it. I, trust me, if you're struggling with any of those things, I, I'm, I'm not trying to minimize the pain and the suffering. I, the worst thing Christians can do is to not identify first with people, people's suffering because all of those things are, are a form of suffering. Um, if, if it's an expression of our fallenness, then it's suffering. And I don't even care if it's partially because of your own sin. It's still suffering for the Christian, that the law of your mind is, is being pounded by that. And it's a struggle that Paul described, and it's real suffering. So, I've heard you talk about anxiety before and, and how, even though it may be our propensity to lean toward the admonition, um, the first thing we need to think about is the suffering. We are suffering when we're anxious. It's Absolutely. painful. It's a trial. It's hard. But you, you had just mentioned um, biology. You brought up the biology word. Um, which then begs the question, um, and, and people ask the question, what about meds? If, if it's a bio- biological thing, whether we can prove it or not, we know that antidepressants for some people help. Is, is it okay to be taking medication to counteract or deal with an emotional issue, an anxiety or depression or, or even PTSD or one of the more severe or, or intrusive uh, maladies or, or, or sufferings? Is, is, is medication an okay thing to turn to, and at what point should we be turning to it if it is okay? Yeah, that's a good question. So I'm going to answer it the simple way first, is um, no, it is not wrong to take medication. I would say in an absolute sense, it is not wrong to take medication uh, for anxiety or depression. I think it would be overstating it to say that. So that's the first thing I want to say. Uh, Second, if you're experiencing symptoms like that, the first thing we do is we tell people, go get a physical, like a full physical with a full blood workup and the whole deal, get your hormones and everything checked out. Because there are, like I said, 5% of cases are actual physical problems. You're experiencing symptoms of depression and anxiety or other things um, that are legitimate, biologically diagnosable things. So go get checked out. Um, and, but you still may come back and your doc's like, yeah, I don't know what's going on. You, you, so is it wrong to take them? It's not wrong to take them. Um, but remember what I said about, well, to the extent that we're finding um, our peace in something other than God, um, we're running the danger of replacing God with something. And there are people that I think do do that with meds. So I think you can actually take the med and not have the med be your peace replacement, not be your little idol. So it's technically not not wrong. There's lots of other issues to consider that, you know, medications are are probably grossly uh, over-prescribed, especially in the United States. Um, There's the issues of they don't even really know how they work. there's the issue of they come with lots of side effects. So it becomes a real wisdom issue. Like, you may feel better, but you don't want to have sex with your spouse anymore. That's one of the major side effects. Yikes. 
that's, that's going to be an issue for the whole family to consider, right? And so it becomes a wisdom issue. Um, but I know people, uh, a good friend at Faith Bible Church, she's, she's been on antidepressants for 20-some years, and they've helped her, and they, they, they seem to do help some people. Um, the evidence for how much they help people is really spotty, um, uh, slightly better than placebos. Um, is is basically what they're saying. So, um, how statistically significant is that? It's it's uh, it's questionable. The science is questionable, actually. But I don't know how Tylenol and ibuprofen work either. But um, I love them. <laughs> so allergy meds or allergy meds yeah. for those of you who struggle with that. Um, yeah, it's it's not wrong to take medication so that you feel better. That is not inherently sinful. It's a, and in regard to depression and anxiety meds, I think it's a liberty issue, and um, you should go there. Now, I know the next question is, oh, what are those 5%? <laughs> um, and so there's like hypothyroidism, I think, can cause symptoms of depression. I don't even really know the list. Go talk to your doctor. I'm not a doctor. So go talk to your doctor about what the list is. But there are legitimate physical maladies that are diagnosable that cause the same symptoms. Panic attacks actually um, can get initiated. If you've experienced a lot of anxiety that's resulted in panic attacks, sometimes you might have overcome the, the, the fear, the worry part of it, and you still get panic attacks every now and then that are like, you know, you go to your counselor, like, what were you thinking? What were you focusing on? You're like, I wasn't thinking anything. <laughs> My body just freaked out. And that's actually possible because, again, our bodies uh, can hijack our capacity for habit. And so you might experience a flutter in your heart that's not related to anything that you were thinking, but your body has set your body in motion to, to express those symptoms that you'd experienced in the past. And so you're not even sinning. A panic attack isn't inherently sinful that might sound weird but it's not it could be just a physical reaction another example is a guy that came came through the oh, i can give a couple one came through uh recently at faith bible church we're doing a membership interview with him you know like you know how can we help you grow spiritually he says well i used to have ocd but it turned out it was um it was an autoimmune thing and so i got it fixed and now i'm not ocd anymore so obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, and I was like, you know, one of our pastors came to me and said, have you ever heard of that? And I'm like, no, I'm not a doctor. Um, I tried to do my best Scotty from Star Trek there. Um, uh, and so I, I did what every self-respecting biblical counselor would do in that moment. I Googled it. And sure enough, there's an autoimmune disorder that, um, causes problems in the amygdala part of your brain, and when that happens, it creates uh, symptoms of OCD. And it's, that's one of the ways they diagnose this autoimmune disorder, and that's what happened. It took them four years to figure it out, but they diagnosed it, they gave him the medications that corrected the autoimmune disorder, and the OCD went away. There's not enough counseling in the world to help him overcome those symptoms if the problem is rooted in a physical malady right so that's one of the things that has helped me have a lot more compassion on people who struggle with 
a wide variety of things because I'm like, they might have a physical problem that I don't even know about. So I'm going to be super patient with them and continue to identify with them and their suffering without assuming they're just being rebellious or they're not applying the truth or, or whatever. I'm just going to care for them and their suffering and, and try to be as patient as I can. And, and it may reach the point where I'm like, I've taught you all I know. And so just keep trying to endure and, and we'll be praying. And, um, but I've taught you all I know. Like, I don't know what else to tell you. Um, and I don't think that means counseling doesn't work. It just might mean God wants you to endure or maybe there's an issue that will be uncovered later. I don't know. Maybe just something for us as we kind of think about the application of that. Often these kinds of things can kind of seem like they're kind of off the table in terms of things that I'm willing to reach out for help with or talk to a brother or sister or a pastor or you know, say, hey, I'm struggling with this and I've got some questions and I'm, I'm even wondering if there might be some kind of medication that might help me with some of these struggles I'm going through, but would you pray with me through this? Would you even be willing to maybe go to that doctor's appointment with me or, or whatever it is? As pastors, we're... We're never going to say, well, you should go see and see this psychologist or this psychiatrist, but we're going to walk with them and probably give a very similar encouragement. You should probably go see the doctor, get a full checkup, make sure things are okay physically, internally, but let's keep praying together. Let me know how the appointment goes. We'll get together after that. I think those are really practical ways that we can walk th- with people through those kind of, kind of sticky and maybe confusing mm-hmm. um, situations that as we're thinking through, okay, is there something medical? Is there some kind of med that might help me? Um, just let's not leave that off the table in terms of things that we're sharing with one another, not, not broadly necessarily, but um, with close brothers and sisters in the Lord who can hold us accountable and pray with us and, and really to submit ourselves to the, the care and the, even the loving you know, questions of brothers and sisters to say, hey, I know you're, you're taking this thing, but how's your heart? Are you dealing with those hard issues that are ongoing that you've been wrestling with that I know about? Um, and does this seem to be helping? Sometimes that can, seems like even that question can be like, oh, man, I just totally offended that guy and just maybe broke our relationship. But if we're patient and humble to say, yeah, I, I need to be open to reason and not a man of my own counsel, then there's just so much possibility for growth and, and um, sanctification in that whole area. So, Brian, thank you so much for that. Graham, I think that's. I think we're out of time. Yeah, we are, are we? out of time. Do you guys? No, okay. We can. I was gonna say we can keep going for two more hours, but it's it's time to eat lunch and and um, there's so much more here. But Brian, thank you so much, brother. Yeah. Um, we're so grateful for the time. Yeah, yeah. Give him a hand. Thank you, brother. Thankful for the time you invested in these messages and helping us think through how to care for one another and we'll continue to wrestle with them and think through them and apply them and um, church don't forget tomorrow we'll be back here at 8 45 uh, we're talking about parenting but if if you're someone who's raised children well you should be here to encourage those who are raising children or if you would hope to be raising children one day well you should be here to be encouraged by those things so brian and uh, brian will be doing a, a kind of a four-part uh, message mini message on keys to parenting and then we get, to, we get to ask some more questions about parenting. Yeah. Uh, I think Michelle may join. And yep. then uh, Brian and Kathy Yates, who are friends uh, as well and have raised kids and have been involved in biblical counseling as well, uh, are, are willing to join us for that Q&A time too. So. I think there are going to be snacks. And there are snacks. Tomorrow? If, if, if the teaching doesn't bring you, if the, if the wisdom of a godly man doesn't draw you to hear what he has to say, there's going to be snacks. Amen. Say amen. It's great. 
Well, Graham, would you pray for us, brother? And, and, uh, and then we'll be done here in just a moment. Father, thank you for a, a wonderful day, a wonderful opportunity to learn more about you and to, uh, to, to hear that call, that charge that we have in your word to counsel one another, to edify one another, to love one another, to um, direct our attention toward you. Father, we are uh, humble servants. We're imperfect servants, but we do desire to please you in our relationships with one another. And so as we look forward to tomorrow and learning more about building a community of care, uh, I just pray that you would uh, bless the rest of our day. Thank you for Brian and his dear wife, Michelle, and the time that they've given to us so far and and, uh, just the the sacrifice they have made. I just would uh, pray you bless them in their ministry and their marriage. Uh, I just uh, look forward to hearing more from them tomorrow. So be with us today as we go forth. May we please you. May our conversation please you. And may we honor you in all that we do. So we pray these things in the name of your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as we go, uh, let's uh, just hear the word of the Lord from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13, uh, 11 through 13. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. So let's go in that peace, and let's be in prayer for one another as we uh, apply these things and keep meditating on these things.